We are in week three of, of a, a series, a four-week series, and David's going to wrap it up next week here uh, on prayer. And uh, we've been really, as I've explained, you know, kind of every week, I try to do a little bit of a recap because I realize that sometimes, you know, not all of us are here every week. We've got life and there's things that go on. But, but we've been exploring this idea that God really wants to be present with us. That God's desire is to be with his children. And we took some time in week one to kind of unpack that and explore that. And week two, uh, last week, we took kind of the opportunity to figure out, well, how do we, you and I as individuals, but you and I as a church family, how do we respond to that? And, And if you remember, we unpacked Psalm 46, excuse me, in a particular verse 10 last week, which was, be still and know that I am God. And so the idea of us slowing down in a crazy-paced world, how do you and I slow down on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, a monthly basis, seasonally, throughout our year, how do we slow down a little bit to get to know God? Because God wants to know us. And, and in some respects, you know, God, obviously he's sovereign and he's omniscient and he knows everything. He, you know, you're, he knows how you're wired and how you're put together. But God wants to know you in terms of experience you. He wants to do life with you. And he wants us to live in response to his desire to be with us. And so what we've discovered is that, that God is incredibly relational, that, that God wants to and is genuinely interested in who you are as a human being. In fact, what we really discover uh, about prayer is that prayer at its core really is about communion and intimacy. It's about relationship with Jesus. And, and robust relationships are really uh, built on being interested in each other. Can you imagine if you as a husband and wife were just not that interested in each other? It wouldn't make for that strong of a relationship. Isn't that right? I mean, stop for a minute and think about the relationships in your life and the strongest relationships that you probably have in your life. You probably share interest in each other, right? Think about your closest friend, you know? And uh, maybe you've, you know, kind of grown up together. You know each other. You know you share interests. You do things together, right? There's, there's a strength of relationship that comes from being interested in one another, Robust relationships happen when we're interested, when we're engaged, when we're involved with one another. I'll, I'll, not, I'll never forget, you know, my, my parents live in Ireland, so they're like 6,000 miles away from my grandkids, uh, or my kids. I don't have any grandkids. I'm much too young to have grandkids. <laughs> Sheesh. But they live 6,000 miles away from, and I, from their grandkids. And I remember when my, grand, or my kids uh, were turning, uh, like they were starting to become teenagers. And, uh, and, and some parents, some of you have younger kids and you've heard from maybe some other parents or you've seen some stuff on TV or, you know, this kind of rumor that, you know, teenagers are really hard. Um, to be honest with you, teenage years for us were like the funnest, just most joyous. It was an awesome time. But I remember having this conversation with my parents because here my parents are 6,000 miles away. And as teenagers, you know, they kind of morph and, and they become, you know, kind of like these crazy human beings around that time, right? And I remember sitting down with my parents, and my dad in particular, and then I sat down with my mom, and I remember saying to my, ki- my parents, I said, hey, if you want to develop great relationships with your grandkids, be interested in the things that they're interested in. How many of you ever heard that advice before? How many of you maybe have experienced that before, right? You know, that, that sometimes it's hard to be interested in some of the things that teenagers are interested in because I just don't understand it, right? 
Never mind, that's me. Never mind my parents, right? And so I remember having this conversation and what has been so amazing, in fact, I have a picture because what has been so amazing over the last few years is the deep, deep relationship that my parents and my kids have together. And I put this little kind of collage together um, because all of my kids have been, my dad apparently likes to dress up. Uh, There's a few pictures of my dad dressing up a little bit there, you know. But my kids, all my kids have made it over to Ireland multiple times, or when my parents come out here, they've developed a, a really healthy relationship because they were interested in each other. They gave attention to each other. And what I want to suggest to you today is that this is the kind of relationship that God wants with us. That God wants to be, God is interested in your and my life. That he loves us and he's, in, and he's invested in relationship. He takes interest in our lives. In fact, I find it interesting that the, 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 the songs that we just sang this morning that he cares for you, you belong to him. It's almost like the theme of worship this morning was built around this idea. God really wants you to know and understand he's interested in you, he cares about you, he's for you. And so what I wanna do today is I wanna take a little bit, I wanna take a little bit of time to explore this idea, how do we interact with a God who really does want to be interested in the little details and the big details of our lives? How is it that we take another step in prayer? God's interested in us. In fact, I was laying in bed this morning and um, I get funny thoughts around 5.30 in the morning. And so I'm laying in bed this morning and I was thinking about this phrase. You know when you like leave, you know, like you're saying goodbye to somebody and have you ever said this phrase? Hey, take care of yourself. Anybody ever use that phrase? Or is it just me? Is that just me? You know, you're saying goodbye, hey, take care of yourself, right? And I was laying in bed thinking this morning, that's the most hideous phrase for a Christian to actually say, isn't it? Like we're, we're, we're peddling this idea that you can actually take care of yourself. And I was thinking about it this morning that as we think about prayer and God's presence and God's interest in us, that what we should actually be saying, hey, let God take care of you. Maybe that's a new phrase we should start with one another. You know, as you head out today, hey, let God take care of you this week, right? Why? Because God cares about you. God's interested in you. God wants to hear from you. In fact, I'm going to talk about this today. God wants you to make requests of him. God wants you to make requests of him. And I get that there's all kinds of different forms of prayer and, you know, there's meditation and petition and, and there's all of these kinds of forms of prayer. And, and sometimes this idea of asking in prayer can be difficult, can be challenging. For me, you know, growing up in Ireland, it feels, if I'm honest, just a little bit awkward. Like I feel personally like a little awkward kind of asking things of God. But yet, Throughout scripture, one of the things that we see in prayer is God wants us to ask him, to make requests of him. In fact, that's actually the structure of the Lord's Prayer. You guys know the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven, right? And and when you look at the structure of the Lord's Prayer, it starts out and it says, look, our heavenly Father. So first of all, he's saying, I am your Father. He goes on and he says, he's worthy of our praise, our adoration, our affection, right? Hallowed be your name. And then he says this, we want your will in our lives. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. 
So that's how the Lord's Prayer starts. But you know what happens next? You know, in fact, the greatest portion of the Lord's Prayer is actually making requests. It goes on and it says, look, it says, provide for our daily bread, forgive our sins. Would you also help me to forgive others? Help us not give in to temptation, right? Do, or do wrong, but deliver us from evil. And so what we recognize from Scripture is that God wants us to make requests of him. And so what I want to do today is I want to spend a little bit of time unpacking how is it that we're supposed to posture ourselves and, and lean into this idea that we're supposed to ask of God. Is God like some sugar daddy or some Santa Claus type figure that I just ask, I wave a magic wand and he's supposed to respond to me? Or, or am I supposed to kind of fear him and reverence him and never ask anything at all? How am I supposed to lean into this thought that I'm supposed to actually make requests of God? You know, my kids were home this, this Christmas um, and uh, it was just super fun to be with my kids. You know, it's the kind of first Christmas that we've kind of had adult kids. They were away and we hadn't seen them for seven, eight months and then they come home. And, and honestly, for me as a dad, it was just so delightful, so enjoyable just to get in the car. And um, what do you want to do today? My son, he's into fashion, so he wanted to go to like the Pendleton Fabric Store. I have like zero interest in going to the Pendleton Fabric Store. Can I just tell you? But can I just tell you what a delight it was to get in the car, to hear him talk, to hear him talk about his dreams, his aspirations, the things he's thinking about in the future, to hear him talk about fabrics. Fabrics? Like, who cares, right? <laughs> Sorry, Aiden. Hopefully he's not watching. But there was something in me as a dad that just loved listening to him. And so we're at the, we're at the Pendleton store, and he's just... He's looking at all these fabrics, and it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. But you know what my heart's desire is? I want to buy him that fabric, you know? And, and, and sometimes over Christmas, you know, he asked a little bit, and other times he didn't ask. I just knew that's what he wanted, and I'm going to go bless him. Because that's the heart of a father, isn't it? And the Bible teaches us that if we, being evil, know how to give good gifts to our kids, how much more our Heavenly Father and this is what I'm trying to communicate to us through this series, is this is exactly how God wants to interact with us. That God is your heavenly Father. God wants to be present with you. And that God wants you to slow down, to be still, to know him, get to know his character, get to know his nature, get to know his goodness. Because the world in which you live is so often telling you the complete opposite. And it's the same trick that the enemies used since day one in the garden. Is God really good? I think God's hiding something from you. And God is trying to reveal himself to you. He's trying to reveal himself to me and us, to, to, to his character, his nature, his goodness toward us. And yet so often we miss it because we don't slow down enough. We don't talk to him about the things that are actually going on in our heart and our lives. Big things and small things. God cares for you. God's for you. Some of you need to hear that this morning. There's this idea that somehow God's against me and I've got to figure it all out and I've got to do the right things. No, no, no. God is abundantly for you and he's given himself for you. And so we want to live in this place 
where we recognize that we can actually make requests of God. I don't know if that's, it's, it feels funny for me even to kind of say that. And this is just, I'm just being personal with you this morning. My struggle with like, I'm supposed to do the right thing. I'm just going to keep my head down and keep working hard and all these kinds of things. And yet I'm learning at, all, at 50 years old that it's okay for me to come to God and make requests, to ask him. Why is it that we don't ask? Why is it that maybe we don't make requests of God? And this is where it gets real for us because it might be that in prayer you've asked God for something in the past and it didn't work out. It didn't happen the way you thought it was going to happen. There wasn't the answer that you thought. And oftentimes in those kinds of circumstances, discouragement can set in, disappointment can set in, right? It didn't work out the last time, so why would I ask God this time? I guess it's really just up to me. And I realize that, man, we can live our lives, and this is such a strategy of the enemy, because it didn't work out the way I thought. I prayed, and I asked, and God didn't answer the way I thought he was going to answer. And so it starts out with, I'm just a little discouraged, and then it just kind of moves to disappointment. Then there's this lingering sense that maybe God's not for me. And you and I both know that the enemy is going to pile on that like crazy to get you to believe that God just doesn't care about you. And so oftentimes, I'm content just to live in a space and a place where it's like, I guess it's just okay. I'm just going to muddle my way through life. And I'm feeling in my spirit, and we were, we were as a staff gathering in prayer this week and sensing that the Lord was challenging us to come boldly before his throne of grace, to ask audaciously, to ask boldly, to ask confidently of God. That there are things that God wants to do that only God could do, but he's waiting on you and I to ask him. And so why don't we ask? Well, maybe we don't ask because we've been disappointed. And that might be you this morning. You're maybe, man, I, I asked and I believe in God and I, and I submit myself to him and I yield to him and I pray and I, and I devote myself to him, all of those kinds of things. But man, to cross that line where I'm actually going to make a request of God... I'm not comfortable. It didn't work out the last time. So maybe it's because we're disappointed. Why do we not ask of God? Maybe it's because we have a wrong perspective of who God is. Maybe we have this reverential kind of view of God that doesn't see him as a loving heavenly father, but sees him as some austere, distant figure who's bothered by our requests. And because we have this perspective of God, we just don't ask. And Jesus actually addressed this in, in a couple of parables. One's found in Luke chapter 11, the other one's in Luke 18. And in Luke chapter 11, he tells this story about a neighbor who goes to a friend late at night because somebody, a guest, is showing up out of town. And you maybe know the story. And she's banging or he's banging on the door trying to wake up the neighbor. And you and I have to understand, like this neighbor didn't live in a three-bedroom house with his kids kind of tucked away somewhere. Like they lived in like this one-room place and to keep warm, they were all all kind of in bed together to try and stay warm together. And so for the neighbor, for the, the husband in this case, to get up, to get out of bed, he's probably going to wake up the whole household just to get some bread for this noisy neighbor who's just persisting. And so often we read that and we go, oh, God is the neighbor who has to get up, but he seems kind of bothered. 
so I'm not going to ask. And we have this wrong perspective of God. We miss the parable. We miss what Jesus was trying to communicate in the parable. And what Jesus is actually trying to communicate is if a human being who's bothered wants to, is willing to get up to give you what you're requesting, how much more me, your heavenly father? It's not a bother to me to do this. So keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. There's another passage, I won't take time, but you can look it up yourself. In Luke chapter 18, there's a judge and a woman who just keeps coming before. What Jesus is trying to communicate to his followers is I'm not bothered by your persistence. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. In fact, we see this throughout the Bible. Look at, look at this passage, and, and we just quoted Luke chapter 11, but in Luke chapter 11, verse nine, it says, so I say to you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. And in fact, in the Greek language, that text is a continuous present tense. God wants you to keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Keep doing it, keep doing it. I know a couple of weeks ago, I shared the story of my daughter who, who ran for five years, Daddy, I want a puppy. Daddy, I want a puppy. Daddy, I want a puppy. And I'm like, no, no, no. You know, and then, of course, I'm preaching on persistence, and the Lord said, she's been persistent for five years. It's time to get her a puppy. None of you want to preach because you're going to end up buying your kids puppies. <laughs> but God wants you to ask him. And sometimes we have this perspective of God that goes, no, he's too, I don't want to bother God. Like it's within his capacity to answer your prayer like that. Remember, he's the one that spoke and worlds came into being. Look at it says in, in James chapter four, verse two. Some of you need to hear this. You desire, but do not have, so you kill. I mean, that, not that part, okay? But, but you covet, and you do not get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Let me ask you a question. How many things have not happened in your life because you didn't ask God? How many circumstances didn't change because you didn't ask God? And the point that I'm simply trying to communicate to us this morning is that, that God wants us to ask him, and sometimes we don't ask because we have a wrong perspective on who God is. Look at this verse found in John 14, verse 14. You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. That's a pretty powerful verse, isn't it? Think about that for a second. You can ask for anything in his name and he'll do it. Now that sounds like I get the upper hand, right? It sounds like in the name of Jesus is a magic wand. Lord, I want to lose 30 pounds in the name of Jesus. Some of you have been around some Christians that emphasize in the name of Jesus, and it's like they attach some selfish personal thing that they want. In the name of Jesus, it's going to be all okay, right? And that's really what's critical about this verse, right? In the name of Jesus isn't a magic wand that we wave. Jesus isn't some spiritual Santa Claus that we just show up with a list and say, I want it, make it happen. In the name of Jesus actually frames in how we're supposed to ask. In the name of Jesus means asking for things that are consistent with his character and aligned with his purposes. And this is why last week it was so important for us to spend the time. How do I slow down? Why do I slow down? I slow down 
so that I can know him. You need to know God's character. You need to know God's nature. You need to know God's goodness. You need to know who this God is so that when you pray, you pray asking audaciously, asking and requesting before your heavenly father, and then you hold it open-handedly. It's like I ask, I believe, and I trust. And we'll talk about it a little bit more. Sometimes God answers us. Sometimes God says, wait. And sometimes God says, no. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. So why, why don't we ask? Maybe it's disappointment. Maybe it's because we have a wrong perspective of God. Maybe it's because we misunderstand God's sovereignty. How many of you have ever thought, God's sovereign, he knows, so why do I need to pray? Anybody ever thought that? Just me. Awesome. You guys know how to make a guy feel really special. <laughs> Unique in this case, actually. I'm the only one, right? But, but sometimes, internally, we can do that, can't we? We can say, well, if God, doesn't God already know? Like, isn't he the Alpha and the Omega? And, and can't he be trusted just to do the right thing? Does it really matter if I pray? I mean, God's going to do what he's going to do anyway, right? But once again, we have a misunderstanding of God's sovereignty because God is absolutely sovereign. He will not violate your free will. But, but what we need to recognize and what we recognize through scripture, through theology, is that God, right, is not some great dictator. He's actually the great delegator. His divine nature is not to dominate, subjugate, and control, but to serve and to listen and to empower. And when you rightly understand God's sovereignty, what you recognize is, I can't control God, but God is so good, he is willing to allow me to influence him. Now that might sound a little bit strange, but God, I can't control God. I can't tell God what to do, but there's evidence throughout scripture that the prayers of God's people actually influence the outcome. God has actually changed his mind on things as a result of prayer. Look, look at this, Daniel or Deuteronomy chapter 9, and you may know this story, right? God, he's so ticked off at the Israelites because they've been so disobedient that he's decided he's just going to wipe them off the face of the earth. And Moses, who's the, like, the designated leader, Moses actually intercedes before God, and God responds to Moses' request. And as you know, he doesn't wipe out the Israelites. God allows himself to be influenced by our prayers. Look at this in Exodus chapter 17. Joshua, he's down in the valley fighting the Amaleks and Moses is up on this hillside and, and, and he's praying and the Bible tells us that as long as he keeps his hands in the air, they win, but when his hands drop, they start losing the battle. And so Aaron and, and, and her come along and they lift up his hands. I almost said ban her, but that's not true. They lift up Moses' hands and a great victory happens. God responds. In fact, the battle is won because of the prayers of God's people. And that's just a mind-bending thought, isn't it? That the God of the universe actually responds to our prayers. He responds to our asking. He responds to our requests. And you and I, as followers of Jesus, are actually called to be co-workers, making our requests known to our Heavenly Father. There's this story found in uh, Mark chapter 10. And uh, some of you know the story. It's the story of blind Bartimaeus. How many of you remember blind Bartimaeus from middle school or, or high school or no, 
from kids' class. That's what I meant to say. Um, blind Bartimaeus. Um, Jesus is on his way into town, and, uh, and Bartimaeus, he's blind, but he hears that Jesus is coming. And so he, like this, this crowd that gathers, and he presses through the crowd, and Bartimaeus is shouting out, Son of David, Son of David, have mercy on me, right? And the crowd's trying to shut up Blind Bartimaeus. So Jesus, this is how the story unfolds, Jesus comes along, and he stops right in front of Blind Bartimaeus. And then he says this, Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Now, I think that's the most hilarious question, don't you? I mean, if I'm Bartimaeus, I wouldn't say this out loud, but then Jesus would hear my thoughts anyway, but, but I'd be like, isn't that obvious? Like, I can't see. And why is it that Jesus asks the question? Why doesn't like the vapor trail of Jesus just heal blind Bartimaeus. Why is it that Jesus stops and asks him, what is it you want me to do for you? And I think what it is is that we learn from the story of Bartimaeus that it's not just enough to sit quietly wishing for a miracle. Jesus asks us to ask him. He invites us to articulate our specific need. And sometimes our relationship with Jesus can be so general, vague, and generic that we never actually pray about the specific things that are going on in our life. And the point that I'm trying to get to you this morning is that Jesus wants you to be specific with him. That Jesus wants, to, wants you to articulate and communicate and ask and make requests, make known to him what's going on in your world. And the reason why is that asking produces in us a dependence upon the good nature and the character of God. Something happens inside of us when we begin to ask. There's a dependence. There's something that's communicated. We'll unpack that in a moment. I love this quote from Charles Hayden Spurgeon. He was this prince of pre uh, preachers in London uh, during the 19th century. And he says this, asking is the rule of the kingdom. Jehovah says to his son, ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. He spoke in Old English, by the way. Um, if, if the royal and divine son of God cannot be exempt from the rule of asking that, that, uh, that he may have, you and I cannot expect the rule to be relaxed in our favor. If you have everything by asking and nothing without asking, I beg you to see how absolutely vital prayer is is. In fact, Peter Gregg says this. He says, there's many wonderful aspects of prayer, but the primary privilege that we have been given as the children of God is to ask audaciously and repeatedly for everything we need, expecting God to answer us. And I don't know about you, even reading that feels, is it just me? It feels a little bit uncomfortable, but this is how good God is. This is the way God wants us to interact with him. God wants us to ask. God wants us to make requests. So why is it that God asks us to ask? And the first reason is this. Number one, because asking is relational. Let me ask you a question. <clears throat> Would you ask a stranger or your best friend to borrow their car? Which one? Your best friend, right? Why? Because you're in relationship. Because even if they say no, the relationship, your own kind of ego, will be okay with it because he's my best friend, right? And so it's the same way. God wants us to ask because 
It's relationship. Jesus is way more interested in friendship than dispensing blessings to faceless souls. And it's why, like the woman, remember the woman with the, she was hemorrhaging blood? She had the issue of blood as it's described in the Bible and she reached out and she touched the hem of his garment and she was instantly healed. And Jesus, he's in this massive crowd. I mean, there's all kinds of people touching him and Jesus stops everything and he says, who touched me? And he didn't turn around and go, who touched me, (laughs) right? He goes, who touched me? He wanted to look into the eyes of the person who had enough faith to believe, to make a request. If I can just reach out, I know that God's going to answer me. And of course, you know the story. She was healed, but it wasn't just that she was healed. It was some faceless blessing that took place. Jesus wanted to interact. It's the same reason with blind Barnabas, why he stopped and said, what is it that you want? Why? Because God is relational. And so we need to learn to ask because it's relational. Number two, asking is vulnerable, right? To make a request is to admit that there's some area of personal need. You know, a couple of weeks ago, um, I was, man, just having a hard week. You know, I was sick, I was tired, I was just feeling overwhelmed. And uh, I grabbed Aaron and I pulled Aaron into Pastor David's, uh, Dave, David's office and I closed the door and I said, okay, guys, I need you to pray for me. And, and, you know, when the, when the lead pastor asks a couple of his pastoral staff to pray for them, you know, they kind of go, what's wrong? As if I'm perfect and have it all together, right? Like, what's wrong? And, and there's, there was such a, it was just such a special time for me, and I think for them, but, but I needed to be vulnerable. I needed some help. And some of us, man, we need to ask help of one another. But all of us need to ask help of our Heavenly Father. And God is wanting to hear. He wants to help. But the third reason is this, is that asking is intentional. It involves the activation of our will. And remember, we play, let your will be done. So I'm asking that you would intervene. I'm asking that you would help. I'm asking that you would deliver. I'm asking that you would forgive. Jesus, would you help me? And what we discover is that, and and we titled kind of our theme for this week of prayer and fasting was that he waits to be wanted. He waits to be asked. God wants to be involved. But when you rightly understand, and you rightly understand that that prayer and this interaction with Jesus' relationship, communion and intimacy and asking is part of the package. That we need to be those who learn how to ask. But I also recognize that God doesn't always seem to answer our prayers the way we would like. Or at least answer them kind of the way I want it. How many of you have ever prayed a prayer and, and you didn't get the answer you thought you were going to get. How many of you have ever, I've got my hands right, by the way. How many of you have prayed and it just felt like God didn't even answer you? I got both hands raised. And that's really painful, isn't it? That can be really difficult. And it can actually be a barrier to us wanting to ask. And it is true that, that God all, doesn't always answer our prayers the way that we want to. In fact, I have this little illustration. Hopefully this is going to work. Look at that. Isn't that awesome? And, and we have an amazing team around here. I said, hey, I want to get a traffic light to illustrate something. <clears throat> but sometimes, this is a little bit angled, isn't it? There you go. Okay. The OCD took over. Sometimes God answers our prayer, yes. Right? How many of you love it when God goes, like, 
And this sounds actually kind of funny, right? But it's actually a really good point. Um, Lord, I, 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 you know, you're at, you're at the mall and you're like, Lord, I really would love a parking spot. <laughs> Come on, how many of you have prayed it? Do you know there's actually been theological discussions on that prayer? Should you pray that God would give you a parking spot? Do you want me to give the answer to the question? The answer is yes. And you know why? Because if, here, here's, in fact, in fact uh, um, where, where was it? Oh, uh, oh, this is it. Archibald William Temple says this, when I pray, coincidence happen. When I stop praying, the coincidence stop happening. I don't know if God gave you the prayer or gave you the parking lot or not, or the parking spot or not. But wouldn't it be awesome if God gave you the parking spot that your response was one of praise and gratitude? How many of you think that that's a good response to God? So can I encourage you, pray for parking spots? And sometimes God's gonna answer your prayer and when he answers your prayer and it's all green lights, man, it's just so awesome, isn't it? But there are times when God says, I want you to wait. I want you to persevere. Now, my wife and I have an argument about the color of that light. She calls it yellow. I call it amber. That's just us. But sometimes in prayer, God gives us an amber light. He says, I need you to wait. I need you to persevere. I need you to keep asking. I need you to keep seeking. I need you to keep knocking. Why is it that God would do that? And I want to suggest to you this morning, and I think I'm on good theological ground, that God's actually trying to build something into you. That, that the answer to the prayer, how many of you know that if you gave in to every request that your kids, like, it, you, first of all, you'd have to move into a bigger house. Like, you'd need a four-car garage to store all the junk, right? And so God sometimes says, no, I need you to wait. I need you to persevere. In fact, D.L. Moody, um, he, he was this famous preacher, and he had a hundred people that he prayed for over the years, and, and, and he prayed for them, and one by one, they would get saved. And when he died, 94 of the hundred had gotten saved over his lifetime. And here's what's so amazing. At his funeral, the last six gave their life to Jesus. Sometimes God wants you to persevere in prayer. Remember, I said that prayer, asking is relational. Asking is vulnerable. It keeps us in a place of dependence. Is it possible that God wants you to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking? Because the goal isn't for you to get your prayer answered. The goal is communion and relationship and dependence and you growing and changing and understanding more of who God is. So sometimes it's a green light. Sometimes it's an amber light or yellow. Or, or, it looks more orange to me, but that's okay. But how many of you, and this is the most difficult one, sometimes it's a red light. And that's a hard one, isn't it? When you pray, when you seek, when you ask, and you do so for maybe years, maybe it's months, maybe it's a situation where somebody needs a miracle, they need to be healed. Maybe there's a relationship that's broken. Maybe there's a son or a daughter that's walked away from the Lord and, and they're, you don't even know maybe where they're at. And Lord, you just keep asking, you just keep knocking and you just keep persevering. And why is it that there seems to not be an answer to prayer? Why weren't they healed? Why did that circumstance not change? Why did God not provide? And, and sometimes, in fact, most often, that's the hardest question that really doesn't have a good answer, does it? 
I'm human. I only see in part. So do you. And I don't always have the answer for why. Why was the prayer unanswered? Why is there a red light? Why is it that God doesn't seem to be responding? And sometimes we we miss the fact because we're so earnest in our desire to have a particular outcome to our prayer, we might miss the fact that even Jesus had red light prayers. Even Jesus had prayers in his life that went unanswered. There's the story of the blind man. Remember the blind man who Jesus prayed for him and it said that he, he saw human beings, but they were like trees. They were, in other words, he wasn't completely healed and, and Jesus had to go back to his heavenly father and pray one more time. What about the prayer for unity among his disciples? I think Jesus is still waiting for an answer to that prayer. What about in the Garden of Gethsemane? Father, take this cup from me. But not your will. Sorry, not my will. Let your will be done. See, Jesus had unanswered prayers in his life. What about on the cross? Father, Father, why, why have you forsaken me? No answer. Unanswered prayer. And we recognize that Jesus, the very Son of God, actually had unanswered prayers in his life. And so asking and seeking and knocking in this atmosphere of, Lord, I want your will to be done, it creates this tension, doesn't it, in our lives? How do we handle it? I remember when my kids were young, my kids sometimes would make requests or sometimes they'd be going through a circumstance that was maybe of their own doing. Maybe it was just a circumstance that happened to them. And and I remember when I was a young dad, I, I remember, you know, my son in particular kind of, he was a, he's an emotional, creative being and he feels things deeply. And, and I remember in those moments trying to explain everything to him. And what I discovered as I tried to explain everything to him, it just got worse. It just made less sense. And what I began to discover is actually what he needs in that moment is not the answer. It just needs my presence. He just needs me to hold him. He just needs me to gather him up. He just needs me to know, or he just needs to know that there's a safe place, a secure place, where in spite of the circumstance, in spite of the situation, in spite of it not making sense, in spite of it even feeling unjust, he can trust. He can be safe. He can believe. See, it's possible to trust without always understanding. And sometimes in those moments when prayer feels like a red light, it's okay to be like David, to vent, to let it out, but to recognize that God's there to hold you. And so often as a pastor, I've been doing this for 20-something years now, what I discover is that it's in those red light moments when we pull away from God. How could God love me if he doesn't answer me? How could God love me if this happens? And that's actually the moment not to pull away, but to draw near. See, it's possible to trust without always fully understanding. 
And you as a father and as a mother, you've held your kids when, in moments when you just couldn't explain it because they weren't going to understand it. And we being his kids, we being finite beings, we having limited understandings, don't always understand, but we can lean into the nature of God. This is why the Bible teaches, be still and know. Know his character, know his nature, know his goodness. Know that he's for you, not against you. Know that he wants you to cast your cares upon him. And he's the one that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't need to fear. We don't need to have it all figured out. We can trust and walk with him. And so God wants us to ask. God wants us to seek. And whether it's a green light, a yellow light, or even a red light, God doesn't want you to stop asking, to stop seeking, to stop going after him because it's all about relationship. He's for you not against you.